probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod live Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skettle and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambaland! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. It's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You are very welcome along to episode 12 of the Hurling Pod. It is now three wins from three for Limerick in the Munster Hurling Championship. They're assured of a place in the All-Ireland Series and they're pretty much qualified for the Munster Hurling Final after the third straight championship game where they have reached the 30-point mark. But that's far from the full story. It was a game where Tipperary led after an hour at the Gaelic Grounds last weekend. Aaron Gallant scored the third goal for the Shannon Siders, but should he have been on the pitch or should he have been sent off for a wild enough pull on Ronan Marr? We'll also be looking ahead to what's going to be a busy weekend where the qualification picture should be much clearer in both the Leinster and Munster Championships come Sunday evening. Delighted to say that we've got former Galway goalkeeper James Skell with us and also Kilkenny Jewel player Paul Murphy. How are you getting on lads? How are you getting on lads? All good. We want to get into Limerick but we also want to ask you about this uh, Jewel situation Paul. You're getting ready on this Monday evening as we record the podcast to go to Kilkenny football training. Uh, has Kilkenny football's demise been overwritten? You guys are getting back on again. Yeah, look, we're getting back on again. Um, Christy Welch is over the team as he uh, has been for the last good few years now at this stage. But um, yeah, look, at, I suppose I can't really be called a dual player because I'm not playing with the hurling uh, men anymore. But um, no, look, at uh, we, we played the, the senior football club championship. We started it earlier this year. Christy got in contact and yeah look I'm, I'm more than happy to throw my lot in with Kilkenny footballer so we have uh, I can't be listening to Skettle all evening now because I have to get ready for training and 33 uh, years of age now I have to do a serious warm up so that's the reason for Skettle to get off the line you're only going back into it for the expenses <laughs> <laughs> that's why you remain quiet on the expenses <laughs> well how long is this uh, season then Paul because you're going into the All-Ireland Junior Football Championship then yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're playing two matches basically this year. So um, look again, off the ball, obviously covered uh, the the situation with Kilkenny football um, only maybe three or four weeks ago. So not not much has obviously changed in that time. But we're playing over a weekend. We're playing um, Warwickshire on Friday night in Abbottstown, and all going well. The winners of that, um, hopefully, if we get if if we win that match, we'll be playing uh, a New York team um, in the final at Crow Park on the Sunday. So look, that's what lads are looking to play for, and it's great. Uh, look. I suppose to go by the phrase the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is now like you need lads to get the show back on the road you need lads to kind of I suppose put their shoulder to the wheel and get things going and I'm happy to do that if if, if like you know I'm I can do a service for, for the footballers and look if you get a day out in Crow Park brilliant you know and very few men can say they work at Kenny football jersey in Crow Park yeah no definitely I mean is there that hope that this can actually be something that be built on because I would think the attraction for a lot of lads going in for this would be a short enough season you go in you play two games effectively over a weekend maybe to go to Crow Park but longer term say if Kilkenny are able to call themselves All-Ireland Junior Champions at the end of this could we get to a point where Kilkenny are back competing in the league again or is that a long way away? Um, it's probably a few years away and I think the only the only hurdle has 
be crossed is just getting involvement back going. Like at the moment, Kilkenny hasn't got a system in place where players could easily manage playing either club, hurling and football and then inter-county football because the hurling obviously has its stream at inter-county level and we know the calendar and how it how it fits and how it sits and also again players I suppose getting a bit of white space to, to step out from their clubs and play football and be recognised that listen I have inter-county football training and that if football has its space like at the moment we're training on Monday evenings you know so that, that kind of has to be trashed out first but like we, like we played my own club Dan's Water senior football in Kilkenny and once we got around and we played a few matches, like yeah, you see the footballers are actually there to if we got the best players on the pitch, you know, Kilkenny next year could step back into division four and, you know, have a real crack at it. Okay, they're gonna take beatings, absolutely, but get back into it and get back into the mix. It's maybe ten years Kilkenny played Tipperary in Division Four, I think in Nolan Park. Um, and like look where Tipperary have gone okay Tipperary have savage strongholds there in football but there is people in Kilkenny no more than myself who are happy and who want to play football and also we have people who are working down here you know we have lads from the team who are from Tyrone from Clare you know there's people who are down here who come from football and strongholds as well so certainly look you know the raw material is there to get it back up and going and I think there is you know a real want to get it back up and going okay lots of people will still say focused on hurling but all you need is a core group there to get it up and going again and suppose get a bit of backing from the county board then to get it going and that's your starting point and look we'll see where it goes from there yeah yeah naturally look there's an aspiration then if there's a team that's available and they believe that it's moving in the right direction might be lads who are interested in playing football who might hear about this now and go yeah I might just go back in and, and give it a crack again uh, is this a one and done for you uh, Murph with it like are you going to win probably for one season or do you see yourself playing for a while I don't know to be honest I, I have no real plan past past this year that's not to say I'm not going back in next year but like generally the way I am at the moment is um, like I don't feel myself slowing down in terms of the body I don't feel injuries coming on you know looking after myself and I'm kind of interested in you know keeping it going in terms of you know you go into the football setup I feel the football setup benefits me going back to the club because I'll go in tonight you know get a bit of work done get a nice bit of running done as well we played a match yesterday with the club um, it'll blow off the kind of the cobwebs and a bit of lactic acid and different things and you know there's no doubt that getting in and as opposed to doing nothing this evening get back in there and do a small bit so it's not a case that I feel that I'm overworked right at the moment that I think look I'm 33 years of age like if, if this year goes well and I feel yeah this is something I can manage absolutely I'll go back in next year and then you know see after that I'm not saying I'm going to be uh, kicking football when I'm 40 for Kilkenny but look you'd like to think to be more competitive younger lads coming along but certainly if the body's feeling good and I have a bit of time to do it absolutely I'll keep my lot in with Kilkenny footballers hmm. James your second love was rugby rather than Gaelic football did you play much of the big ball along the way? Football wise? Yeah um, not particularly I played or we have a sister club here called St Gabriel's um, down the road and I suppose like that now is anything, like any ball you can get your hands on <clears throat> as a young fella you're, you're going to play that kind of sport so it became a question whereby two sports was, was manageable three sports wasn't so I continued rugby and hurling from let's say 16 years of age onwards after that football took a back seat yeah when did you actually finish playing rugby by the way I know we kind of spoke about this before that Anthony Cunningham advised you give rugby totally the heave ho and concentrate entirely on hurling like, were, were you were you playing up into your 20s then to play rugby no that was it when, when, when that conversation with Anthony happened in winter of 11 that's when I started 11. at 23 okay. yeah I didn't keep it going so I, the odd time then I was threatening to go back into a junior league let's say with a local club here but just didn't have to grow off for it to be honest time as well uh, and as the, the inter-county hurling game got you know more demanding and faster etc you couldn't give yourself you know I suppose the opportunity to play two sports because injuries in rugby are 
they're, they're quite prominent so I couldn't risk it so that's why it, that took a back seat at 23 Yeah I'm not trying to talk you into playing rugby now but would you consider going back in and playing a bit of junior now that you're finished up with the county? Um, my brother-in-law is actually over the club right. Lock Ray, but, but I yeah I don't know it's, it's injuries wise to say like even I've, I've had a history of bad shoulder injuries and so like uh, that's, that's a, a pretty key, key part of your body you're going to need in rugby whether it be out over rooks or, or tackling etc line outs etc so again I don't know I couldn't see myself doing a will to be honest because more than like Paul I want to prolong my club hurling career as long as I can and, uh, that, and I, when you get up in the years obviously a big part of that is, is avoiding injuries so keeping myself out of a sport that where injuries are quite prominent would be a good place to start I think ah yeah look you don't want the attrition coming on the body and I'm sure there's probably plenty of our listeners and viewers at the moment who are going why are you not talking about the Tipperary game against Limerick so we can uh, we can dive into that game in the Munster Hurling Championship the final no more is this deceptive than we spoke about last week scale where there was a two point win for Clare against Cork but it felt like the margin of victory was much more the margin of victory felt Less having watched the game between Limerick and Tipperary because you look at that final scoreline it's Limerick 321 it's Tipperary 23 points but yeah. it was really only in the final quarter of the game that Limerick had actually taken the ascendancy now they finished the game very strongly but if you were watching the game at 60 minutes gone you wouldn't be thinking that Limerick were going to run out fairly comfortable winners No I was tight but you always got the over overriding sense that it was just a matter of time because obviously Limerick like they, they were they were poor now by their own, their own standards to be honest and like some of the players that you, you'd expect big performances of didn't show up and you know I don't think that was a physical thing I think that was actually mental on their behalf which I'll touch on in a few minutes but I always got the sense that just Tipperary weren't creating enough of a distance between themselves and Limerick like oh, for all the you know the shots that they had and they, but they were creating an awful amount of wides and like still if you didn't look at the scoreboard you'd say to yourself God Tip must be up five or six points here but still they're only one two points at three points at most so you're saying that's not enough because Limerick there's always a fight in them and, he, and like I was wondering then let's say with Tipperary because they only got a true lead Limerick only got a true lead like in the 64th minute I think where it's where they took the lead and then I was thinking like would, would a fear complex kick into Tip here like and will they just you know roll over and die somewhat but in fairness they didn't like they got struck for a couple of killer goals and that, and that put a bit of flattery on the scoreline to be honest um but again, when you look at Tipperary's score, like 23 points looks okay on, on, you know, on the books. But like they only got whatever here, they've only got 11 points from play. You know, it's not enough in comparison to Limerick scoring 315. So like if you're if you're going to be hitting Limerick, you're going to have to have to be matching them. You know, from play at least if you're going to try try and overtake them. But I think in terms of a day to get caught, that was the day for Tip to catch Limerick, and it, it would have been a win of all wins to be honest. And you could see that they planned well, um, first and foremost, uh, with their distribution of puckouts by changing their goalie. I can think no other reason, bar an injury, obviously, I can think of no other reason why they changed the goalie. And like his distribution was excellent, it really was. Grandy got caught, cut out one time for Hegarty in the second half, which became a bit of a highlight reel for one of the goals. Fair enough, right? But I thought he was really good. And so it obviously showed that Bonner, Colin Bonner put in a good plan. They acted on it. It was working fierce well. Um, George Brown was creating an awful lot of havoc in the middle of the field there. They were nullifying the half-forward line from Limerick. They were nullifying their own half-back line as well. For, uh, and things were moving nicely. They just didn't get enough on the scoreboard um, <clears throat> at that time. And like Limerick, Limerick were, you know, I, I would give them a, a 5 out of 10 for their performance overall. Because even John Kiley said after that, I think he, he, he's, he probably has some players in that dressing room who will be quite disappointed with their own performances. And maybe just that there was a bit of a... I hate I, I use the dreaded word complacency, but that's what it seemed like. But look, mm. it was one lost, and even Colin Bonner, like he had me going at the end. He was getting so excited for freeze, you know. I was nearly thinking, you know, like he was good. He was energetic, like it's what you want to see, you know. So, um, but I just think it was kind of an opportunity lost for Tip. Yeah, Paul. When you consider 
that performance was yeah it was very middling from Limerick really up until an hour gone and then a very strong finish and look a few inspiring scores uh, within there too like you think of particularly the Declan Hannam one which was a huge lift at the point when the game was in the melting pot and Nash going up the field and getting a score and giving a fist pump afterwards and you just you just felt it was in an arm wrestle it was starting to go in Limerick's direction when those scores happened and then as James mentioned the two goals inside the last six minutes of the game were complete killers for Tipperary but um, when it comes to Limerick and the mentality going into it, did you get that feeling as well that the flatness was actually down to a sense of, right, they've gone out there and won their first two games, they've beaten Waterford, had a bit of a break, and then maybe they weren't quite on it going into the game yesterday? Yeah, I think there was a, a, a huge part of it because, um, you know, we're not questioning were Limerick man for man worse than, than Tipperary yesterday or were they completely outbeaten? No, they weren't. Um, it really came down to... I, I felt the flatness and just complacency of potentially maybe believing what was said during the week like no more than myself I, I said last weekend that or last week on the podcast that I expected this to be a heavy beating for Tipperary and I think everybody kind of expected that maybe even the Tipperary fans by not showing up in huge numbers yesterday expected that but you know the first 10 minutes like Tipperary didn't come flying out of the blocks okay Joe Brown got a great point at the start but they didn't come flying out of it and by the time Aaron Galan got his goal um, the first goal it was kind of a case of thought okay everybody was kind of maybe going okay this is what we expected to see happen and now Tip and Limerick are going to kick on but they didn't kick on and when they didn't kick on Tip seemed to nearly get a smell of that and go okay actually we're still in this and next thing Tip started to get their scores and there was a little bit of caginess crept into the Limerick game and for me Limerick were kind of tipping in maybe third gear and I actually said it when I was watching the match I said they're, they're in third gear here and it seems like enough but then when it wasn't enough and Tip were coming back at them and Tip started hitting them and then they started breaking down the ball around the middle of the field and turning it over and getting scores suddenly I think Tim, Tip realised actually these lads aren't on song today and you know they started to feed off that and come back at Limerick and that's where the, the caginess happened and again like I mean I've referred to it several times when we played Limerick the last time they lost in championship in 2019 again very similar setup coming into it we had beaten Cork but the narrative really was that okay they bet Cork but that's about it for Kilkenny now for this year and I think that fed into the Limerick camp and the problem was I suppose the difference between ourselves in 2019 semi-final and Tip yesterday was that we had the firepower and we created the distance when we got the goal chances Colin Fenley got the goal and it created the distance and what happened then was a lot of people would agree or would say that Limerick ran out of time well they did run out of time yesterday you know if you think of the Michael Breen goal or you think of I think it was Flynn got a ball in front of goal and Barry Nash got a great block and Michael Breen had another chance again a ball broke around the square and uh, he, he just flicked it wide like if they got one or two of them which they could have that could have been the distance where we saw Limerick take the lead on the 64th minute yesterday. Well, it might have been a, bit, a gap too far for them then at that stage. And it wasn't because they were completely outworked. It was literally just because they came into the game flat. Maybe, you know, it got inside their heads during the week that, you know, they're going to turn up, they're going to turn over this tip team and they're going to march on. And that just wasn't the case. So I think it's something that John Kiley has to look at because there was a few performers again over, the, like yesterday, that... Again, you know, Will O'Donoghue, we're talking about him being the enforcer of, 
of Limerick um, 54 minutes I haven't known for three possessions now in fairness to his counterpart Darrow Donovan Darrow Donovan put in a really great shift I think he had about 14 possessions which he was you know made a few mistakes but he was putting in the work there but there's a few lads there that just kind of you know didn't Dan Morrissey again three possessions in 68 minutes you know it's there's a lot of lads there that were kind of looking whereas the other side Sean Finn on the ball the whole time Barry Nash driving forward they still did have their few lads Cahill O'Neill shipped in with two points so they did have lads on song but I think something John Kiley would be looking at going forward is <clears throat> you know this complacency this can't carry on because if they do come up against the team and like Clare is another one Clare is a dangerous game for them if the narrative around the Clare match is that they're expected to turn them over like Clare have a bit more firepower at the moment than Tipperary so James said it the complacency for me was the big part with Limerick going into the match yesterday and I just think it's something that they need to really work on going forward yeah we're kind of looking forward a little bit here James when it comes to that Clare game but given the way they performed um, Kylie said he wasn't overly happy with the performance but they got the job done yesterday does he now go strong against Clare to make sure that they're actually coming out of the Munster Championship in flying form as opposed to like the job is pretty much done we know they're in the All-Ireland Series it would take a hell of a swing for them not to qualify for the Munster final because of the position mm-hmm. that they're in but does he go in hard now into that Clare game to try and get a victory in Ennis to make sure they're actually coming flying into a potential Munster final I think he does but also signs are on remember when the, when the, was the Munster final last year he didn't start Galan mm-hmm. and like look Galan now is probably the front runner for her at the year at the minute so it's not it's not beyond Kylie and his management team to, to drop was, I'd say drop not start prominent players but if I was to pick out people to, like from yesterday's performance like I had Jimmy Burns the year up to yesterday and he just he kind of flattered to to, to kind of impress and uh, Paul touched on Will I don't know who I was extremely surprised you'd see him on loads of possessions throughout every game you know, winning, winning, winning frees and turning over people and fist pumping like and he's a major nucleus of that team didn't show up at all and you can see what happens with Limerick when, the, when one or two guys don't perform the whole like the level of performance drops um, so it's not it's not beyond Kylie. Will he do it though? I don't think so. Because I, I think there's obviously recognition there that Clare, Clare are going well too. Obviously they've it's a big game to weekend. Don't get me wrong. So I think he's going to go with a full deck. It's the last game, and even Limerick just by the look of the draw in fairness, will if Limerick comes through this uh, with a victory, they've they've some three weeks off or some of that into a monster, monster final. So they have a good they have a good blast to break where they can get a bit of work in. So I, I'd imagine what would happen is. Kylie go with a full deck, throw the throw the house at Clare and see where it brings them, and then probably introduce some of the some of the younger um, the guys. I I I probably expect Seamus Flanagan to start too. I know Cahill O'Neill came came off yesterday with a sprained ankle that was mentioned, so you'd see probably a bit of a rejig in there. Um, possibility probably Kyle Hayes going back to eleven, Seamus back into fourteen, so you can see the kind of the twenty eighteen shape if you like. Um, but like to answer your question, I think full 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 duck no dinner. That's what that's what uh, going to do with the minute and and uh, put down Clare. I imagine. Just to pick up your point, James, on Dermot Burns, again, we were all talking him up over the last few weeks and he's hurling remarkably well up until uh, that game against Tipperary. But Tipperary did a really good job of getting players around him, of putting puckouts down that side and having extra players around. They created overloads at different times. Um, I guess you got to give credit to Tipperary tactically for the way that they hurled on Burns yesterday. Absolutely. And they shortened up to puck out a bit. So, so like, I remember you know, Brendan Cummins referencing a long, long time ago to me about when he was playing Kilkenny, doing one-on-ones versus Tommy Walsh and JJ. It was just a waste of time to say. So he actually, they shortened up to puck out a small bit and created, instead of one-on-ones, it was two V2s, three V3s. So at least get the ball to the ground. You've, you've bought these. So there's a bit of work to do for the... the for the, the, in that instance Kikini backs to come out so that's what happened yesterday in the sense that Joe Brown I know he, he created havoc you see so if you just introduce a small bit of confusion to a back line like, like even, even as prominent as Limerick now I have to say 
you know, you'll, you'll get some fruition off it. So I, I thought Tip's plan was really good. And it's a bold move changing a goalie in the middle of a championship game, to be honest. And like, even for him to come in cold, he came in cold, as I said previously, I thought his distribution was excellent. And like, he picked off a whole host of sharp pickouts, which caused Limerick an awful lot of problems in the first half. And when he went long, he went long to where they had numbers. So you didn't get you didn't get the you know the, the inspirational catch of a Jimmy Burns or the inspirational catch of a Declan Hannon. You got numbers around the ball and then you put in a good honest work ethic, which is what Tip had yesterday. And then you mix that in with the likes of Norm McGrath, who was you know I thought he was excellent yesterday. Albeit he didn't score a monstrous amount from play, but like he took he took the charge to Limerick yesterday. I thought, uh, especially in the first half by distribution, open up players. So I thought Tip came in with a really good plan. Just wasn't enough, like I say, and I don't think he was for want of the plan. I just think he was the want of, you know, a straight up 15 v 15 in, ter- in terms of player quality that probably just didn't have it, to be honest. Yeah, Paul, we spoke a lot about the players that Tipperary didn't have available. Look, injury has ripped away a core group, particularly in their forward line, the players that they've lost this year. And we speak nearly every week about the fact that it's difficult for any team to transition and bring in new players when Brendan Maher is there, Paulie Maher is not there. But the one thing to probably take from the first few games, and look, they'll be disappointed with how they hurled against Clare, as good as Clare were, Tipperary were below their normal level. But these young players played well against Waterford. They've played well now against Limerick. A Tipperary fan might come out and think, right, Tipperary's championship year is coming to a close. They're not going to qualify. But still, they're getting to see some of these players who were so good at under-20 level and didn't get much of a shout in the 2020 or 2021 seasons, now coming to fruition and actually hurling quite well. This could be a case of a little bit of short-term pain and maybe long-term gain for Tipperary. Yeah, absolutely. And the, 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 I suppose the tough thing to try and do is how do you phase these players into into a team, into a panel over a year or two, over three years? Because that's what it takes. You don't step out of minor and under 21 or under 20 as it is now. You don't step out of it into inter-county. It just doesn't happen. Um, you see the size of the players there at the moment and physicality isn't everything, but it, it is a huge part of it. Yeah, getting, to, getting to the pace of the game, like, you know, when you're under 20, you're you're a big fish in a small pond if you're if you're capable of stepping up to inter-county but once you get up to inter-county you suddenly come back to being um, like you know at the lower levels and you're getting hit fairly hard so um, for Tipperary they have there's no doubt they, they have players coming through and at the end of the day you only have to take about three players from any um, underage group each year or so if, if, if even you're lucky to take three players some years you might only take one player but, a, but there is a phase where these players have to step in like ideally you would like to see these lads step in maybe a little bit more for Tipperary anyway with Jamie Callan with Paddy Maher with Bonner Maher and these lads because it's huge you know we kind of see it with Clare at the moment where these lads are stepping in now with Tony Kelly and these lads and they, they kind of have a bit more of a balance of that experience and youth so for Tipperary they kind of do have to go through these I suppose years one or two years maybe three years of where these players are stepping in finding their feet getting to the pace of inter-county consistently over a few years and look that doesn't happen overnight you just have to go and do it but at the same time they are doing it you know there's a few lads stepped up yesterday in fairness and there's no tougher place than step up in the Gaelic grounds against Limerick they did it again like you said they did it down in Welsh Park against Waterford so they are seeing lads doing it you know and for the likes of I suppose Jake Morris who's the only established person out of that group who's been there and played in All-Ireland finals you know the rest of them just have to go through this I suppose teething phase and learn the ropes and become really strong players but you know it's not all doom and gloom for Tipperary and fairness yesterday like I mean look Tipperary people are proud they won't be taking an A point beating and trying to put a silver lining on it and be proud about it but at the end of the day call a spade a spade people there was lots of people talking of a 20 point beating here over the weekend but you know they went at it and there was probably not a whole lot on stake okay technically they weren't out of qualification yesterday before the game but it really they were going for a moral win here yesterday if, if there was anti 
wanted on the line and they came away with a lot of stuff they came away with a lot of good stuff to be fair to them and look there's a lot of Tipperary people like I said will be turning around saying that's not good enough for Tipperary Tipperary want wins they want to win Munsters they want to win All-Irelands but when you're introducing these players you can't expect to flick a switch overnight and maybe the argument Tipperary supporters would have had over the last few years is these players maybe should have been introduced maybe like you said 2020-2021 even drip feed them in one or two that maybe their, 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 their time to step in is coming a little bit late so they'll just have to I suppose forego that little bit extra time um, for these players to hit their peak yeah look again I can understand where Sheedy was coming from over the last couple of seasons he had a core group of players that had won in All-Ireland in 2019 in his first spell those players have been the young players coming through you're going to have a certain commitment towards them and therefore you're going to play them but it just seems that maybe injuries and retirements have now forced the hand a little bit to allow these players to all come through in one batch of players and it'd be intriguing to see what shape Tipperary are in going into the summer of 2023 now understandably James almost every question that came in overnight in the Instagram left it open what do you want answered I would say 75% of them were what are your thoughts on the Galan incident where he was not shown a red card he was shown a yellow card the Galan pull what's a yellow what's a red these days it's clearly in reference uh, to the Galan red card incident um, did Galan try and play the ball or did he just swing with a hurley basically it's a constant stream of these comments coming in it's been massively talked about I've heard some people say James it was an orange card it was somewhere between yellow and red was reading Brian Gavin in the Irish Examiner writing with the fact that in his feeling if he was on the pitch and Brian Gavin was a referee who had definitely a reputation for allowing things to flow and not being particularly picky with red cards along the way he felt it was a red card we've argued about it a bit in the WhatsApp group since the incident yesterday on the TV, Anthony Daly felt it was a yellow card. Jackie Tyrrell and um, Davy Fitz on the Sunday game felt it was a yellow card. What's James Skell's take on it, yellow or red? Now, before we get into this, Skell did say he was going to reserve his judgment for the WhatsApp. So I'm yeah, he gave none of it away. I couldn't no, believe no. it because I was like, let's just outline all of our positions here. <laughs> I wasn't getting, in fairness, I was having a few pints at the time. So I said, if, if I took off into a debate, I could say anything. <laughs> but instead, Skell goes, no save it for the pod I so here we are yeah cryptic now so, you have the so, floor okay, for, okay I'll start I'll start hard for me it's a 100% red card and why why says you for, so when Ronan Matter's going down for the ball that's when Galen initiates his strike Galen put, pulls about a foot over the ball nowhere near it do you know regardless if he has two hands on the hurl or one, or one hand he pulls with full intent to do damage that's it and pe- people are saying oh Ronan Matter took a look up at the referee irrelevant in my book that's irrelevant like fair enough he did take a look up to see was the referee watching but the, the crime was committed as far as I'm concerned and like th- there's no get around it for me you can try and tailor you can kind of create a narrative to, narrative to, to, to say oh, that toughness in hurling is gone or he didn't mean it he was going for the ball he wasn't like there's, there's plenty of angles there to show that when he pulled he wasn't intent to get the ball and like you know like Murph you've done this an awful lot more than I have but when the ball is there you're not going for a big strike like you're going if your man's going to lift it you're going for a tap to get it off yeah. You know, you, you know, going into that challenge, right? I'm going. I'm, I'm not going to get the ball here. I'm not going to get it in time if I go for a pull. So you change your tactic and you go to tip it off him. That's what you do. And so don't tell me that the Galan was trying to do that. He was going to do damage. And this is his second time in two years doing his tip. So I'll repeat, lads. Carthagenic. Right. He he should definitely have been sent off last year. I think none of us are yeah. going to argue, but that should have been a red card in 2021. Yeah. This one, I think context is all important with the way the swing happens too. And this is something that Brian Gavin brought up in the Irish Examiner, which I think is a very good point, which is that if 
Aaron Galan is front facing and he's going in to try and pull on the ball and Ronan Marr adjusts his position at the very last second and sweeps in with his hand and gets hit in an instant where Galan is trying to pull forward you could understand or he's trying to flick the ball away mm-hmm. the thing is that Galan comes in quite hard and almost kind of pulls out of the stroke to a certain extent and I take that mitigation but why is he stroking James away from goal in that way? Why is Galan stroking away from the goal? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not a natural tackle angle to go in hard. Like surely if you're going in as a forward in that instance, you'd be going to try and flick the ball as opposed to trying to pull on. You, you that's what I mean. Like what I was saying some more for a second ago, you you know you're not going to make it when you're going for the pull. So you you haven't got the timing is wrong. You've too much distance to cover. I'm not going to pull it. So because the man is ahead of me, so you change up and you go for the flick. I fully believe that Galan said I'm going to pull a stroke here. And then when he, when he and just left the hurley, like I won't say left the hurley, but he gave it and he, he tried to do a bit of damage. Like just I, I don't know, I don't think he actually intended to, he he intended to go really hurt Ronan Maher, but I I do I do think he intended to give him a slap. Honest to God, I do. Um, and like he's he's running away from the goal, he's looking at the ball, he knows it's he's he's pulling a foot above it, so he's just giving it, giving him a slap. And I think he's he has it in his full head that he's going to get away with it. Um, and like I, I'd be interested to hear the, the counter arguments because if you just think of this logically, like did he strike the man? Did he did he get the ball? No. Did he strike the man? Yes. Was there intent? In my view, yes. So that's that's a red, you know. And like, I, I get what you're saying about uh, he he tried to mitigate it by you know reducing the power of his string, his swing, but he still swung. Like when you compare then to the likes of, I know I'm not really comparing apples or apples here, but when you compare to Colin Gal- or Ian Galvin's um, incident you know, the week before. Like, come on! So what, what kind of damage are we talking about here? You know, so look, it's a red. I, I, people can form whatever arguments they want to counter, counter what I'm saying, but I, I mind it up. Right, <laughs> so go on, Murphy. Give us, the, give us a counter argument here, because I'm guessing you're saying as a def- as a defender and a guy who's probably pulled a few strokes over the years, you're going to go yellow. Oh, he has. <clears throat> Yes. <laughs> Actually, it happened in fairness to Yeah, I No, no, no. Um, I let her come down and play a football game against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's different in the football. No, I'll be honest. When I saw it, when I was watching the match live, as soon as he pulled, I said, Oh, you're gone. I was talking out loud to myself, and I said, You're gone. He's finished. That's it. He's red card. And then I saw it back, and I was kind of going, Oh, geez, I don't know. But I still thought the referee, it was, I believe the referee would send him off because it just didn't look good. Um, in, and the referee can only see it once, and he has to go at whatever. But. I I came back then and I kind of said, no, maybe it is a yellow. Now, the, the problem with this is, and this is why we're seeing it being so hotly debated, and thankfully we have something pulling us away this week from a handshake, but like, it, it is a tough one. Like, it's a tough one to try and kind of figure out because I understand completely what you're saying there, James, that there was intent. He's pulling very hard away from the goal, from his own goal. But at the same time, I'm looking at it going, he went in hard he didn't he could have done a lot worse if he really wanted to hurt him he could have kept two hands on the hurl there now and kept full power but he did go to pull out and I, I on the flip side I would say I know what it's like to run hard into a tackle there and as you're running to the tackle you think you're going to get it and, and the player does something enough that you go wait now I'm going to destroy someone here and you just pull out for a second you still hit him you still give a yellow card but I know what it's like that you're going for a tackle 100% when you go to pull out what I will give Aaron Galan credit for I I don't think he went to completely I think he ran going yeah I'm going to get to this ball and if I hit Paddy Marr or if I hit um, Ronan Marr when I'm doing it grand that's fine take man and ball 
but I think once he realised he wasn't going to he, I mean he could have destroyed Ronan Mar there mm-hmm. if, if, if his intent was really there to do it so he pulled out at last second one hand on the hurl and he let it off he let go of the hurl as well I'm fairly sure and the hurl flew which kind of even made it look worse so my argument there was I saw a lad running hard for the ball at the start and again we have the benefit of replay I saw him running hard for it at the start fully believed to the last second he was going to get it okay he was going to pull hard but if we think of where the match was at that stage we were seeing big tackles going in you know Cahill Barrett came out with the ball I think he won a great free Galan got bottled up it, like Colin Bonner on the sideline was lepping up and down the sideline fist pumping so you know the red mist was ascending in the match there and players you know could have lost around themselves but it, I'll give Galan the benefit of the doubt there that he did just pull away and and like Ronan Mar played on the rest of the game, he didn't have a bad injury. So for me, in hindsight, and like the other side of it is Gordon, the referee didn't have a replay. I think it was yellow afterwards. But again, great having hindsight. But it's one of those ones I think someone can be swayed with a good enough argument, someone can be swayed on this one to go red or yellow. But I'm I'm sticking in the yellow camp for that one. Yeah, my initial reaction on this lads was a hundred percent red card the first time I saw it I thought Galan is walking I thought by Galan's reaction he thought he was probably going to be walking too so for me it's probably it's it's above a yellow card but I do take the factors that have just been mentioned by Paul above the yellow, what's, what's above the yellow card <laughs> well that's what I mean about the orange card this thing was Jordan Klopp earlier this season when he spoke about you know there's yellow card offences that maybe aren't quite a red but are definitely above a yellow yeah I, I, I think it's above a yellow card offence but can I ask you did he strike him he did, yeah, he hits him. And the other thing as well, and this is really important, is that it's not like it's a ground stroke and just out of nowhere, Ronan's hand comes around and just nicks the ball a second before he was due to make contact with the ball. His hurl is actually reasonably high, even if he's trying to pull out with the tackle. Mm-hmm. And that has to be taken into account too. Like, if even if he hadn't pulled his stroke a little bit, he was probably going to take the man one way or another, right? Yeah. Oh, well, by the time he'd committed yeah. where, where he was... Like Ron Amar was getting the good news and that was it. So the good news hitting him or he was gonna stand on him, I don't know. But he was he was too late to pull out of the tackle at that stage. Yeah. Right. So if we if we agree then, James, that this was a wild stroke and people can make their argument about whether they felt it was a red or a yellow offence, I think we're all kind of leaning a bit towards red here, to be fair. Is it also a very silly move? by Galan when the game was in the melting pot to potentially get himself sent off if the referee had made another decision because like you're a long way away from your own goal it's a reckless stroke at a time when you could really cost your team if they'd gone down to 14 yeah like it's it's, it's a risk reward ratio like so he, if he risks that what's his reward nothing if he wins the ball fair enough but he's risking by pulling that kind of stroke you know it's crazy like and he should have been sent off last year and if he was sent off last year so he's missing a couple of games so when, when when you get sent off and you go into like a hearing and they take your previous disciplinary record into into, into consideration, you know sometimes it works in your favour. But in this instance, like I I think that could have been used against him yesterday. You know, and I know you'll say, oh, sure, he didn't get sent off last year, but he should have been. He should have been, and he sent off in the league. So so like it's not beyond him to be honest. Now, and I will say about Liam Gordon, I know Liam personally. He's extremely level, a neutral, uh, John cam referee. So like he would have made a very very calculated decision. Like he wouldn't get swayed by crowd or swayed by, you know, people shouting or something. Like so, I I think that if he gave a yellow, he fully believes the time it's only a yellow. He's not just giving a yellow to save himself. You know that that wouldn't be his form at all. Um, but for me, I just think it's it's a it's a momentary slip moment. It's it's, it's a momentary slip of madness in, in Galen's mind as far as I'm concerned. I know you'd say ah, I just looked that bad and he stuck a, <laughs> stuck a, another couple of scores after, but like I'm convinced he intended to do what he did. Um, and I think he went in with the view, as I said, to do a little damage 
uh, or as Paul says give him the good news we'll not do a lot of damage like as Paul said he could have flipped and flittered him he could have let rip and take you know, potentially break his hand or break his wrist or you know go ahead and kneecap but he didn't but he, he just gave him you know he for me he did it hard enough and intentional enough that he meant to do what he did and just to give a little bit of damage you know, to let Maher know he's there somewhat so for, look at I, I can talk about this to the coast of home it's a red card I can't, I can't the, the other side of it as well is like you know there are people and what Will what you were saying that um, you know it was not a silly move out of him at this stage of the game when the game was in the jaws and you know going to go one way or the other Seamus Flanagan in the league Aaron Galan in the league Garrod Hegarty in the league like there is form there and it's something that we addressed in, in you know in, in the podcast that mm-hmm. We were questioning why did they suddenly randomly do this and are they in control of it? And we, we talked about that if lads are getting in your face to try and annoy you, that's probably trying to get you sent off. Well, one thing the Limerick lads kind of have shown is that there is a little bit of form there to push it too far in a silly way. Like, I mean, there's no good red card, but they're certainly playing hard and getting two yellow cards. It's completely different to you're hurling well, you're after scoring 1 5, and then suddenly you pull a swipe in a fellow when a team needs you. That's different red card altogether in my book. So, if we have seen Anton, we've seen four examples this year. Year. well we'll call it three because Galan didn't get a red card but if Galan got sent off on Sunday the, we, we wouldn't be arguing here really at the same time we'd be going like you know Liam Gordon was fully justified to send him off if he wanted it's a very hard one to call so they could be looking at four red cards already this year for very silly red cards Seamus Flanagan's was silly Aaron Galan's one against Clare silly Garrod Hegarty's silly yeah. but this one would have been just the fourth one in that list so again it, it definitely is something that we talked about previously is it still there probably still is and it's probably still part of Limerick playing on the edge but it's something that as James was saying risk reward it, it, it could end up being too much of a risk on the days and let's say Tip get two goals in that match Aaron Galang gets sent off Limerick lose you know so very fine margins here yeah but, but even, even there, sorry the, the type of red cards they're getting as well more for like will, you know they're not getting two yellows for persistent fouling or for a couple of drag downs they're getting them for strikes mm. you know for strikes in in you know, difficult spots like so. There's there, there is form there. You know, so and I, it, it they, they, these red cards seem to come at a time when, you know, the games are kind of as Paul said in a mental pot or they're 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 intense or they're highly amplified by activity on the sideline. They seem to come at the same type of time. If you get me, like mm. like Hegarty's was obviously there was a bit of kerfuffle let's say on the sideline with against Galway. Same with Flanagan, man after getting sent off and crowd getting excited. So it seems to happen. I, I, I don't know, do they get kind of carried away in themselves a bit? You know, I, I doubt we'll ever see Hegarty do that kind of action again. But if you were to ask me, nor, nor Flanagan, to be honest, but if you were to ask me, is it, is it within Galen? It is. I have to say categorically, it is. You know, he's shown it like in the last couple of years. So I, I wonder what teams do to know, like in, in terms of, you know, applied pressure. We spoke about it before, let's say, because he, he can be. I don't know is this the right way to say it but he can be he can be got at like he can be even emotionally hijacked I think if, with, uh, with persistent you know tight marking etc and even maybe uh, you know tight tackling etc so it's hard to know what what, what he'd do at any, any given time and then the question I have to ask is <laughs> this is a, it could be a stupid question because he's, he's in sublime form right but does he become a too high of a risk for a team going down the line you know it, it, do you see an incident let's say where they're in the middle of a flipping monster final and they have to check him off because he's a you know his liability. Is that is that even a factor? Because Kylie, Kylie knows him better than we know him. So, what's your thoughts on that? Well, 
throw that across to you, Murphy. This was the Austin Gleason argument that we had earlier this season when you know, he picked up a fairly foolish red card against uh, Wexford, and we were wondering, like, what's the mentality around this? Would there be a concern that, you know, in his case, his team were literally bloody five goals up at the time that he pulls the stroke, so he should never have uh, got himself sent off. But will there be any concern? Like, Kylie has, has benched Galan before. Like, he mm-hmm. benched him for the Munster final last year. Yeah, I think, like, it... it, it not after this one but certainly if it comes to a stage where he feels that um, his his hurling is losing out to his temperament on the pitch like we saw Seamus Flanagan if I'm correct in saying that's the first time we saw Seamus Flanagan since uh, since he was sent off now it could be wrong he maybe came on in one of their games but like Seamus Flanagan was looking good for 14 there until you know maybe he wasn't getting on enough ball and then silly red card and like you have the likes of Conor Boyle and these lads really chomping at the bit David Reedy and these lads busting to try and get in um, so like John Kiley will be looking at it going like Aaron Galan at this stage is on for like he's probably hurler of the year at the moment like again long way to go but I don't see uh, I, maybe this was the warning that John Kiley would be saying to him listen come on now you're lucky to get away with it and if Aaron Galan has any sense he knows this as well um, I don't see Aaron Galan going down that far of being a complete risk because even even the most I suppose the, the, the hot-headed tempered players would kind of once they get their little I suppose back to reality red card they tend to cop on a small bit then like Austin Gleeson got his red card came on had a great match um, against Tipperary like but I don't think so I don't think Aaron Galan is going to go that far down the road that he's so hot headed I think it's just more a little bit um, I look not to say foolish or anything like that but it was a silly move it was just a silly move so I don't think it, it becomes a big problem if Anton it's a, it's a little bit of a godsend now for John Kiley that he can reference it and say to Galan we need you on the pitch we need you scoring 2-5 we don't need you scoring 1-4 and getting sent off and then you're gone for a month and you no monster final for you and then suddenly someone comes in and takes your position that's the reality because they have players that can do that so I think a bit of a reality check for Galan but I still think this I don't think it knocks, knocks a funk out of him yet yeah, going looking at some of the rest of the comments that come in on Brew on YouTube last week. Bit of a mystic uh, looking forward. Will he ever see the sport of hurling played in line with its rules? Again, here we are, a week on, arguing over whether a stroke is a yellow card offence or a red card offence. So uh, on Brew knew in advance of the weekend that that was going to happen. Uh, we've also had a question in about what would have happened in the circumstances that Galan gets sent off. Look, Galan gets sent off, he's not drifting in behind for that third goal, which really killed the game. Um, but also, what do the guys think? So I'll throw it to you first, Gail, on this. Could Tipperary have held on if Limerick had had to adjust when they went, if they'd gone down to 14 <coughs> men? So Galan gets a red card. Would that have been enough to keep Tipperary in front? I just think the landscape would certainly change um, because Tipperary obviously have an extra defender and they get an awful lot of uh, their scores, I say, by putting balls into the corner into their, into their two corner forwards and if that could be nullified it changes things an awful lot like could Tipperary have scored more it's hard, it's hard to think even if they had a spare man would, would they have scored more than 23 points I don't know what would Limerick have ended up with another great question I, okay, it's impossible to tell I certainly think the game the, the gap wouldn't have been 7 points um, would Tip have won God you'd have to say they'd have to be they'd be within a great shout they'd be within a great shout wouldn't they like they'd definitely be you know, much better set up in the back. They'd have a spare man for their own puck out. So that if they had a spare man for their own puck out, then they gain more distance. You know, on the secondary ball, they're on forwards. Like it changed the whole landscape of the game. So I'm going to go out the limb and say they would, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, chip win the game. Nice, <laughs> chip win the game. Scale has spoken. Uh, Murph, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'd actually go and agree with him. One thing. What? Would, yeah, no, I agree with you. Mad, it's mad, like, you know, as, as I always say, a stop clock is right twice a day. You know, so, 
Um, no, like it's uh, one thing I would have always felt over the years, and we saw Tipperary when Tipperary were playing against Watford. Let's say when under Derek McGrath and Watford started playing a sweeper system, and then we would have saw Der- um, Tipperary then playing Paddy Mar was always the sweeper. I always thought there was no better team for some reason in the country than Tipperary. They just seem to deploy this sweeper really well, and I think if what happens is if if Gillan gets sent off. What we see is, I, I do think we would see Limerick up their work rate, and it's a different story. But I think Ronan Marr fills in what Paddy Marr used to do and stands on that D. And Cahill Barrett and Barry Heffernan, these boys who would have played in that system, suddenly now, okay, Barry Heffernan was out in wing back there at the weekend. But, you know, these lads start suddenly filtering that ball through Ronan Marr. And now, like, you know, Limerick are in trouble. They're trying, they're fighting really hard, but they're not playing as part of the system because they're a man down and Tip are utilising this. And I think Tip smell blood at that stage as well. And they go, lads, if we see this out, you know, this is an enormous victory and we it's, it's right in front of us now. So with a spare man, Tipperary, um, down through the years have been excellent at it. And I actually do, I would give him a serious shout at holding out if, if that was a red card. Stick him around Galan here because I want to ask you as our resident cornerback here, Paul, what you do with the problem like Galan because of his movement and particularly his movement so close to goal because like he drifts in behind for just a second for that third goal and it's enough to give him a yard. He's so good with his paw. Like we've spoken about this so many times. If Limerick playing a good diagonal direct ball to Galan, he's so good at winning his own possession. Even sometimes when he's up against defenders who have a few inches on him height-wise, he's so good in the air and he's so good at taking it down and then adjusting to take the shot afterwards. Do you always have to stay goal side of Galan, or what do you do if you're marking him? Because we spoke about this before. Like once he got in behind the Cork defence in Porky Cueve, he did against Waterford too. Like this is a guy who's incredibly dangerous if he gets any kind of sniff closer to goal. How do you deal with Galan, and how tight do you have to mark him and stay behind him? Yeah, um, it, like it's something that we again would have looked at um, in, in the semi final 2019. I think the only way, like if he wants to go behind you. Again, you just have to ask yourself the question: Why does he want to go behind me? He wants to go me, to, or he wants to go behind me, so he can drift left or right. I won't see him creates a bit of space. The better option there is, even if he goes as far as the end line, will you stand off the pitch and stand where everything you need to know is out in front of you, where Galan is in front of you, ball is out in front of you, and go 50-50 try and beat him in a foot race. Now he's electric pace, grand, but at least everything you need to know about marking him is out in front of you. He's not behind you. He's not drifting. Where is he gone? Is he left or right? You know, Huey Lawler in 2019 did it really well. Now, Galan still got a few scores, but when Galan got those balls, Galan was in front of Huey Lawler and he struck a few wides because Huey now had him there in that area and Galan tried to strike him over the shoulder, hit one wide. He got another score out of it, grand. But I'd rather that than him drifting in like behind and getting two goals. Like, if I was, if I was marking him tomorrow, it'd be a case of... And then again, you're also taking in the information here that he might get a bit narked is... You know, you ha- you stand behind him, and now lads be saying, "Oh, you don't stand behind your man." You have your hand on him, saying, "Keeping him there." What they do then is they bunch up in around the sixteen-yard box, and he'll try and lose you there. So he'll run between you and another defender because he knows you're doing a man-marking job, and he'll try and get another player in front of you. So he'll run out past Gray Mulcahy and cut back, hoping he'll shake you there. So once you come into contact, where you're in around a group of players you grab his jersey by the scruff of the neck then and he tries to run he starts swinging his elbow back at you butt of the hurl and you start shouting at the umpire and you're you're like a bucking bronco then you're holding on to him and if he wants to start giving out and whatever but the ball is down on the other 45 so the referee is looking down at that 
So you're holding on to him. I love it. And don't let him. Because again, you just ask yourself, what does he want to do? He wants to go into a group of players, lose you, mm. and then now he has the 10 yards of space. So once you see a group of players coming, hand on the back of the neck, you have his jersey caught, I don't care saying it, and run into that group of players and let Graham Mulcahy hit you, let Seamus Flanagan hit you, and like a buck and bronco, don't let go, hold on to him. And then once you get out of the group of players, let go of him again. Umpire's <laughs> looking at you. Referee might come in and talk to you and he might say whatever. But now he's getting annoyed at you because you're not letting him do what he wants to do. But this idea of, we'll stand 50-50 and do it nice and fair, keep the hands off him and let him drift behind you and I'm going to focus on the ball. We saw it twice yesterday, why you don't do that. So, like, there's a way. You're going to get a yellow card probably after a while doing it. But that's fine. Take the yellow card and then see where it goes. But there's a likelihood where he could pull on you. Like, I'm not saying, and I don't like to say that now as if that's the type of player he is. But any player, I would say that about any player, if you were to hold on to him and pull and drag, a player could do something silly, you know. So if I was doing that tomorrow, again, and this is all, I say this all giving full credit to Galan because he's an excellent player, but I think that's what you have to do. Keep him out in front of you, keep the ball out in front of you so that you have your periphery vision on him and you know where the ball is and that's all you need to know. Evan Herm is in contact, James. Uh, we may as well stick on the last question on Galan. Is Galan the most informed hurler in the country at the minute is the question. I would think with his finishing and the way he started this championship uh, campaign the way he stood up against Waterford the last day when you know the chips were down and other players weren't there and he was still there as a big star and a big contributing scoring forward Glan's right up there at the moment uh, he's top for me uh, he's, he's my heart of the year at the moment um, even despite yesterday's incident like he he was you know fabulous against Waterford to be honest there's no other way to explain it um, he was very good yesterday scoring was a 2-1 from play um, he's mastered that art now of getting the ball behind you so like 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 Murph said, don't give him that that that, uh, that advantage. But he's just he's he's playing with extreme confidence. Uh, the players around him, <coughs> excuse me, see uh, see that he's a, he's a, he's a great person to feed the ball to. His touch is magnificent. He's always going to get it. You very rarely see him lose the touch. His hands are class. Look at I can't say much more about him. Like he's definitely an informed hurler. I was again after yesterday. Up to yesterday for me, hurler there was Burns. After yesterday, it's Galan. So. Like if you look at the odds now at the minute Paddy Power count, <laughs> the first six lads who were down for her of the year are all Limerick lads. You know, so that tells you enough what, what you're about to, where, they're, where they're at at the minute. Yeah, well like look again, we saw Hegarty when the chips were down and when he was required, some of the work that he got through, so like he at one point I think he took about four or five Tipperary players out with just the directness of his running, so he used to be right in contention too. For you, Paul, who's your current front runner for her of the year now with two rounds of the provincials left? So we still have plenty of time left in the championship. Yeah, again, I think it's very simple. It's Aaron Galan at the moment, just the way he's playing. Um you know, really important scores as well yesterday. Like, you know, two important scores. First of all, created that bit of a gap um, with the first goal and you thought Limerick were going to kick on. Okay, they didn't. But then when they needed him again coming down the home straight, got that goal and you really felt after that goal went in. And how clever he did it as well. Like, I know Carl Barrett was giving out that he played the hurl. I looked at the replay. I don't think he did. I think his hurl was up there, but it didn't look like he played it. Like, he caught it fair and square. And then when he turned, he didn't go for a swing. He just played it past the keeper, like, and just went... Yeah, that's it. Into the back of the net, very clinical. But come away with two five. Any player at any stage of a championship, round robin, anything, any of your forwards come away with two five. That's brilliant going, especially the two goals. So, no, without doubt at the moment, you know, Aaron Galan. But it, it, it it's amazing how much it could it, it can change because you know, like James was saying, like Dermot Burns up until yesterday, you were going absolutely definitely. So it's going to be interesting over the next few weeks. 
players will come to the fore you know I've no doubt players will step to the fore even one or two Clare players with the way they're playing could step up that little bit more and th- next week you know we could be talking about someone else who's who's you know breathing down Aaron Galan's neck but at the moment full credit to Aaron Galan like he is hurler the year form at the moment yeah hopefully that answers the question which came on Instagram from Dave Small 94 does Galan play the hurley uh, you will forgive all three of us who are north of Munster for using the word hurl hurl and hurley are uh, totally inter- interchangeable as far as I'm concerned uh, but for those of us who are raised uh, north of Munster it tends to be hurl as opposed to hurley uh, also Patrick Coleman making the point about this weekend Clare well capable of getting to a semi-final in the All-Ireland uh, we were talking about how far they could potentially go uh, I don't see them being able to beat both Limerick and Waterford in the same year though outside of the Munster campaign it could happen in Munster because Limerick if they beat Tipperary which you know, happened on Sunday are likely to then put out a, possibly a second team in Ennis I wonder if that'll be the case after the way they hurled and then Clare can beat Waterford in Munster as they did last year so it's a tricky finish for Clare like Limerick and then going into the Waterford game in the last weekend they still have a lot to work to do despite the fantastic start that they've had mm-hmm. but James we will talk about this weekend given the, what we saw from Limerick given the high level that we've seen from Clare so far how's this game going to go at the weekend? Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming now Will that, that Limerick put out their strongest team um, mm-hmm. if they put out a, a, a perceived second team I think that's, that sends all the wrong messages to that squad especially after back of yesterday's performance if yesterday they, they produced a performance for the ages then I would possibly look at a second string team or introducing some of the fringe players you want to call that so I'm, I'm going to say Limerick are going balls out best 15 as we clear um, and it's going to be a tight game Innes hasn't been the best venue for them you know I think if memory serves me correctly, they so they drew this year in the league. Uh, go back a couple of years ago, then they they got beaten in the last round of the championship round robin um, by Clare. Is that correct? I think it is, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, it was the last year of the round robin. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got beaten. So like, and because and again, we're going back to our old topic about the pitch. The pitch is bloody tight in us, right? I don't care what anybody says. It's tight in there. Prepare the comments already. Yeah, go on. I don't give a shit. It's bloody. It's bloody well tight, right? So um, and I clear showed a good blueprint of how to attack the Limerick puck out on both sides of the ball. So on how to obviously uh, structure their own and how to attack the Limerick one. So I'm very interested to see how this goes. Um, I think it's going to be a game right there. I, I certainly cannot see Limerick winning this by the margins they've been winning to date. You know, I don't see it being six or seven points. I, I see it being tight. Uh, clear of all the energy. Again, when you go into the question of matchups, uh, how do they add up? And then you look at their clear forwards, and they have good, a right good mix of pace, and they've a good mix of strength. So you know, they're not they're not found wanting in any particular department, especially in the forwards. And then their backs are in form. You know, so like all signs are shown that clear are. Job playing for a good a good performance. I'd say they're probably they're looking at this 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 game now coming this weekend and saying this is nearly their I won't call it their coming of age moment, but certainly it certainly feels like it. Um, will they beat Limerick? Very hard to call. I can't say they they do. I I am still siding with Limerick. The margin of, of victory. I'm saying it's going to be low-ish. Like I'm talking maybe two or three points. Um, but certainly clear. And it's very interesting you touched on there, Will, about the the Munster final. If Clare beat Waterford. Uh, mm-hmm. Then let's say let's say then all things being equal, Limerick beat Clare in the Munster final. On one side of the draw, then you've got a whole host of teams. Like you've got an awful lot of teams. If Clare hop in, go the other route, they'll go the Leinster route if you like into the quarter final. So you could potentially have Waterford, Limerick, you know, a Kilkenny type team because God, we're going to win Leinster. Throw the other, the, the other side. <laughs> so like <laughs> it's going to be, it could be uh, like these these next couple of rounds will will shape. The championship massively. Like I know, you, of course, this we're getting close to knockout stages. But if Clare beat Waterford and let's say whoever wins Leinster, there's huge things there to the final. 
Point of information before I come over to you on uh, this one, Murph. So the 2019 Munster Senior Hurling Championship, which was the round robin last year, was actually the year that Limerick had beaten Clare. So that was 128 to 13. It was the year before that Clare had beaten Limerick at home, which would have been 2018. So like, there's a core group of players there with Clare who have beaten Limerick in the championship who are still around. But yeah. I had to do a quick check on the uh, historical results just to be 100% sure on which year it was they beaten them. It's amazing how 2020 and 2021 uh, kind of melt into one here. Yeah. Um, Limerick, by the way, have not beaten a Leinster team in winning their last two All-Ireland titles. If you want to look at it as Leinster geography, because they didn't play Kilkenny over the last couple of years. So you have to go back to 2019, the last time they played against Kilkenny, and they lost that semi-final. So let's see how the route pans out for both of these teams. But Clare and Limerick, Murph, how are you calling it? Who's going to win this one? Um, yeah, it changes again. If you asked me last week, I would have said Limerick. It's not as simple as that now at the moment. Um, the reason I'd be saying it is, okay, well, like, Limerick are going to come into this game a lot sharper. I've no doubt John Kiley will be cracking the whip now this week saying, listen, lads, you know, that's not good enough. And I think we'll see a few positional changes. If dealing with dealing with Limerick, first of all, you know, I don't think, I think we've seen the end of Kyle Hayes in a full forward, not because, you know, I, I just think the running he has, the reason he went back to left half back in the first place is because, you know, he's just a gazelle up the sideline and you want him to have that space where he can sprint into. So I think they pull I think they pull Kyle Hayes out the field a small bit more. Um, maybe one or two changes and as well, like, you know, I mean, the lads who came on, like Boylan came on and, you know, was impressive enough. You know, Graham Mulcahy was on the ball, you know, five possessions yesterday. It wasn't a huge amount of tackling done. So, you know, it might be an opportunity for John Kiley. I do, I agree with James. I think he's putting out a strong team. I don't think he's messing around when he's, because it wouldn't be good for Limerick now going in to a Munster final um, let's say if it, regardless like if they go down and put in a bad performance against Clare or if they get bet by Clare like it does Limerick no good overall for the year for that to happen but the thing is let's say if we flip over to Clare's side um, like we looked yesterday Ger Brown caused Savage problems for, for Tip and the reason I think he caused problems he asked a lot of questions of, of Limerick that maybe Limerick weren't ready to answer you know he floated around he didn't play where they expected him to play he worked really hard he popped up and got scores and he had three points off Dermot Burns before they knew what was going on what I look at Clare is Clare have a lot more players who can do that as well like you know they could very easily you know put like obviously Tony Kelly being the obvious one but like you know Peter Duggan there or um, you know the, the, the Shane O'Donnell there's, there's lots of lads they could put out there that don't stick to the normal pattern who could drift around who could ask questions and that's where you get your little bit of space that Ian Galvin could pop in for a goal I think Clare could be a bit more clinical as well in front of goal but again the dynamic of being up in, in Clare playing in Ennis that is not simple at all so I don't think it's as um, I don't think it's as, as far apart as I did last week I thought if you asked me last week I'd say Limerick go to Ennis and they maybe win by 10 points all you know <coughs> without being uh, unfair to Clare but I wouldn't be surprised this weekend if Clare turned them over you know I just think that Clare are in good form they're, they're playing with a lot of confidence they're enjoying what they're doing they have no reason to fear Limerick because no one's going to expect them to beat Limerick which is a great place to be in so if we're sitting here next Monday talking about this amazing Clare win I wouldn't be overly surprised but your brain still has to go Limerick at this stage because just if this Limerick team hits form no one competes with them it's a question will Limerick hit form I wonder as well Murph whether if Clare were to win just as a neutral 
what it might do for the championship itself because then at that point Clare can have every belief that they can beat the All-Ireland champions again later in this year Clare automatically then become a major contender to lift Lee McCarthy at the end of the year Limerick would actually probably get a different type of motivation because you guys both mentioned complacency earlier if Limerick were to lose a game that would totally renew their focus for the rest of the season like as a neutral I'm kind of hoping this is a Clare win to be honest yeah, I I think it's um, it, like you said, it's, it'd be incredible, and it is. We're looking at nearly every match to see how does the ripple effects from each match play into the championship and the shock waves that it send. Like you said, yeah, this would lay down a savage marker. It would bring another team that we didn't have really down for contention for an All Ireland um, back into the mix and. What it really does then is go, like it's a big win for every other team as well. If Clare do beat Limerick, it's a big win because everyone else goes, look, Jesus, Goliath can be slayed here. We can actually go and do it. Maybe it sows a little bit of doubt then in Limerick as well because I've been part of teams there that, you know, you take one defeat and it's not a case that you can turn around. Let's say 2013, Dublin bet us in Leinster semi-final. Okay, we have had players fit and stuff but you're 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 kind of trying to mend the, the doubts that the double match put into you so like if Clare go and beat um Clare go and beat Limerick okay Limerick still have players fit and they have Keane Lynch and these lads come back but there's a little bit of doubt there that teams will try and tap into going forward in the championship like Watford if they come and meet them again they'll go lads if we hit these lads hard and we've seen how to get the doubt into their brains well that's what we do and then like we're not even talking about Leinster we're not even talking that you know Galway we have Wexford to come to Nolan Park we have Kilkenny in Dublin next weekend. Like, there's so many dynamics then that if if Clare go and beat Limerick, like I mean, the pack is wide open. But that's a big if. That ha- the ha- it has to happen first now. But for all of us watching hurling, it would be unbelievable if Clare go and turn them over because what that means for the landscape of of, of this championship, it, like call it after that. Call it who's going to win the All Ireland after that. <laughs> not easy but that's why we're here and that's what we'll be doing in podcasts probably 14 and 15 as these uh, provincials come to a close now look a mate of mine said to me last weekend James that like I seem to have a weekly rant on this podcast about you know different things around coverage and structures and whatever else but I found a kindred spirit in the YouTube comments last week Donica Doyle Patrick Horgan just became the top scorer of all time in the All-Ireland Hurling Championships nobody seemed to mention it last weekend and there you are Patrick Horgan uh, here on Wikipedia because there's no central statistics on the GA website for this has now scored 23 goals and 500 points that brings him to 569 two ahead of Joe Canning um, albeit Joe Canning is still ahead on average scores because Joe uh, got to his 567 in five fewer games than it took Patrick Horgan but still this should be a huge deal James I mean you're a big NFL fan yeah. Like whenever someone is getting to one of these records, like potentially someone's going to get the most touchdowns in the season, or every time that Brady seemed to reach, yeah. uh, you know, a passing yardage, the stats were always being pulled out. Like the commentators were ready before it happened. This becomes a big issue. It's always a conversation going into the week of games in NFL because American sports are so good at keeping records. Like LeBron mm-hmm. James's records, yeah. uh, you know, over the years and whatever else. In the GA, it has that possibility of slipping by. Because it's not really front and centre. Look, I appreciate that Cork lost and Patrick Horgan would have probably preferred a couple of championship points for winning the game against Clare. But still some achievement for Patrick Horgan to now be the top scorer in the history of hurling. And it is something last week that kind of slipped by. Oh, it definitely slipped by. And to, to be honest, I have to hold my hand up and say that when, when I saw that comment, that's when I became informed. You know, I didn't know either, truthfully. And like, if you go back to the American sports, so the, so the Americans, I always say, are unreal at creating you know, hysteria around something that can be perceived as small over here. So if, 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 if Horgan was taking part in an American sport 
and he's heading towards a major milestone, it'll be notified weeks out, weeks in advance. Uh, mm-hmm. There'll be there'll be projections about which game he make it in. There'll be projections about how, how far he go. Then he'd reach the milestone. They'd stop the game. They'd give him a round of applause, etc. And it just it creates this kind of you know, uh, I won't say flamboyance, but like it creates this pageantry. It sells like it really really sells. Well, it, it sells. You know what I mean. It really sells. Like when you're, when you're heading towards records, you know, like and it gets people involved. I myself track, you know, Brady and Trap Gronk and all these lads for what what records they're going to break. And when it's coming up, like I'm looking forward to. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in hurling terms, just our our ability or or lack thereof, should I say, to keep statistics is 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 very poor form. And I just I don't think I think it's just pure. It's old style Irishness whereby. Asher, what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? What's the point? Well, there should be every point. Like, and I think people like Patrick Horgan, who's and Shefflin and Canning and all these people who are breaking the records and they'll be broken again in the future. Like, they should be lauded like for what they're for what they've done. Like, the next thing now should be how far can Horgan go? Will mm-hmm. he hit six hundred? He will. You know, he, he'll, if he keeps going, he's still in, he's still in great nick. Like, so he's another couple of games to go. He get he gets six hundred at some stage. So. Um, it's lost across the board like uh, yes we've some big milestones with regards to how many Ireland's this lad has won how many Austrians has won but I'd love to know who is the most sideline cuts in championship history you know who is the most clean sheets etc who's the most red cards <laughs> who's the most yellow cards Paul Murphy <laughs> you know so like I'd love to know all these rec- just if, if, they, if they do nothing else they just create talking points whether it be in social media at the game, the pub, whatever it is, you know, and that's all we want to do is create a bit more hysteria around the game. I've got a sneaky feeling, Murph. The reason that this actually slipped by too was down to something else, which was that the Galway against Kilkenny game was the one on TV, and the Cork and Clare game where this record happened was the streaming game. So therefore, it wasn't out in the public consciousness. And then look, we're as much at fault as anybody talking about the handshake for two or three days after it happened, and that became the talking point out of the weekend, as opposed to Horgan taking the record over Canning. And obviously there was a bit of hype about Canning last year when he was closing in on it and we knew that it was probably going to happen before the end of the season. Now Horgan is out there in front and it brings me back to a point from last weekend which was why were the two games scheduled at the same time? And like last weekend we had one hurling game. It was a Joe McDonough break weekend too. For me it felt like nearly a, a chance mismurfed to actually have a hurling game on each day. Like even if maybe the Leinster Championship had taken a break at a different time or if there was a really high profile Joe McDonough game, we could have had more focus on that as opposed to the GEA competing two of their you know, big games of the year up against each other at exactly the same time the previous Sunday. Yeah, definitely. It was a trick missed. And, you know, everybody, it was well highlighted. And to be honest, it was more highlighted than Patrick Horgan actually, you know, taking over the the all-time top scorer. But it was, you know, it was, a, I suppose, a silly move that two really good games. Um, now, obviously, look, I suppose most people wanted to watch uh, Kilkenny and Galway but like you know you're telling me there wasn't room for a Cork game somewhere there like everybody wanted to watch it and we all had to go about our ways about um, you know trying to watch it afterwards or whatever it was going to be but like and especially the game that it turned out to be like it was an absolutely brilliant game but no it was it was a silly one and again it goes back to it maybe just goes back to the the Irishness of sometimes these things creep in and it's the same with the whole um, Patrick Horgan being the all-time scorer that like I remember when Henry became the top scorer and I remember it was I, I th- he did it in Crow Park I'm fairly sure he took a free fairly sure Jerk Hanning um, was commentating and he just went and now Henry Shefflin becomes the top scorer and the game carried on there was a puck out and like I just think even if it was on telly it wouldn't have got any great note it might have been mentioned and people would have copped it but we have this thing where we don't really mark it now no one's asking for like I remember Steph Curry there as it earlier this year he took over the all-time 
time three point or yeah. uh, three point record. Yeah, they, they, they literally Allen. at that point took a timeout and they allowed the moment actually sink yeah. in. They nearly burnt the place down. Like Ray Allen <laughs> came down out of the stand and he hugged him. And I was saying it afterwards because I was going, I was comparing it like Killian Connor. I'm fairly sure is still the all time scorer in football, and like he did it in Killarney. And I was just saying like. You know, imagine, uh, I don't want it to happen, but I was just saying, you know, you flip it across, Killian O'Connor kicks the ball over the bar, Gooch Cooper walks out of the stand, comes down, gives him a hug. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's not what we want. But, like, that's what the Americans... Oh, but at least they acknowledge it. Do you know, they acknowledge that that's a huge achievement for Patrick Horgan. Like, we take it for granted Patrick Horgan was, um, like, all-time top scorer in Hurling. But, like... <laughs> But let's say, being, being honest, like, Patrick Horgan started out as a young fella, hurling away, had dreams of playing for Cork. Like, little did he know he was going to pass out Christy Ring, he was going to pass out Joe Canning, he was going to pass, okay, he's hurling the same age as Joe Canning, Henry Shefflin, DJ Carey. That's a huge thing for Patrick Horgan. And, like, let's say, all going well, some other player, Cahill O'Neill at Limerick, or someone will come along and pass that out. Like, it's just, I, I think it's, it's a small bit of a, for the player itself, for a personal achievement, I'm sure it'll be marked some way that something will be sent to Patrick Horgan or something by the GA. Maybe that's how it's marked. I, I'm definitely one that doesn't know how top scorers get marked in terms of trophies, but, you know, it certainly is something going forward, and it even feeds into the whole statistics area. We don't mark statistics. We don't record statistics. There's great work being done, and I think we see it on social media. You know, you do, we do see great stats being, being put together there, but, again, that's that's very much down to individuals, it's down to statisticians who are giving us their information that they're compiling because of that's what they do. But we don't have a centralised one and we don't mark it when we when we could because it's another angle to say, you know, this is what you can aspire to and like Patrick Horgan may end his career as without an all Ireland, unfortunately. He might, he might and but he mightn't. But He's one. He he may he most likely will finish his career as the all-time scorer in 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 hurling, um, and that deserves a bit more of a, a fanfare than it got or it might get. You know. I think there's a sliding scale about how we mark these achievements. On the one hand, you've got the absolute craziness of Buddy Franklin earlier this year scoring the 1,000 AFL goal. And fans actually rushing the pitch, yeah. and like at, at one point, Zach Tui is quite lucky that he didn't get badly injured. Like players were actually genuinely in danger because of mm-hmm. drunk fans on the pitch. And luckily enough, the guy who bounced off Zach Tui, Zach Tui went back and gave him his phone and his wallet afterwards, yeah. as opposed to going after to hit him. And then, like you look at say the craziness of the Steph Curry thing, even though there's a great pageantry about it all, they're on the kind of extreme end. But on the other end, like. There's nothing to say that, say, on the big screen, if it happened in Crow Park, like with Henry's, it couldn't go up on the screen and maybe a moment could stop before the puck out comes out where everyone gives a clap or similarly with Horgan that maybe it could be, you know, announced over the PA at Semple Stadium or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where we come on kind of a bit slow to maybe uh, to mark some of them. Maybe it's something that we can improve on change on a little bit. Looking ahead then to the fixtures this weekend, lads, we've already touched on the Sunday 4 o'clock game, which is the game of the weekend, which is Clare against Limerick in the Munster Hurling Championship. We might stick with Sunday and stick with Munster then, because we've got Waterford against Cork at Walsh Park, 2pm on Sunday. Uh, given Cork's start to the championship, this is maybe what we thought this was going to be. This on the face of it looked like it was going to be a real battle to see who was going to finish in the top three. Cork's lives are on the line, though. Like With the first two results, they have to win at Walsh Park to have any chance of qualifying. Do you give them any chance at this stage, James, of overturning Waterford, given what we've seen from Cork in the first two games? Uh, straight answer, I don't, to be honest. I, I just don't, I just I think I think things are stacking up against them at the minute and I think that the just like a snowball effect now will the more rolls the bigger it gets and I just think 
heading into Walsh Park we've, I've often said it a difficult place to play a very rapturous crowd they feel like the crowd are in on top yes so it facilitates Walshford in the way they play tough conditions most likely with a breeze normal don't get the space that they'd like in, in like what they get in a Porky Cueve or a Thurless so when I stack up everything up and look at it objectively I can't, I can't really see how Cork win this um, to be honest not trying to be too dismissive but I just think Walshford is going to be a kickback in the beginning they haven't been out in a couple of weeks probably refreshed so they, they want to get probably Cork one and done get them gone and get two points on the board um, I still think it'll be a very good game entertaining game but I'd say if you were to ask me about what what will the gap be in the end I, I would say Watford by six or seven because Murphy would take a big change around when you consider the way the league final went and the space that Watford were able to get and the damage they were able to do to that uh, Cork defence and then you take Cork being demoralised with the way they've played in their first two games the amount of chances that they coughed up in those first two matches against Limerick and against Clare mm-hmm. it would be a turnaround of all turnarounds if Cork were to keep that Waterford forward line quiet this weekend yeah it would be and I think the main the main thing that Cork have to battle now at the moment is just the mindset the bit of morale that's in the team or you know maybe lack of the confidence and different things like looking at the table even after Tipperary have played Limerick you know Cork are still on bottom of the table and score difference you know okay it's only by a point but um, you know it, it's a tough place and ideally you know Cork would probably like to turn around Parky Cueve and get and steady the ship again and go back at it and you know do what they have to do but you know Watford are concerned about themselves Watford are looking at Clare now going okay lads Clare could get a result here against Limerick um, you know we want to be in a Munster final you know we want to go the direct route straight to an All-Ireland final and you know Watford will be out to win so I don't think Watford really care to be honest what Cork are going to bring and that's something Cork are going to have to deal with Welsh Park we've seen it okay Barrett Tipperary in the first half in, in, in the round robin phase um, Tipperary got a hold of Watford but again maybe that crept back to as we said at the time Watford maybe just being <coughs> off the pace and Tipperary hitting them at 100% I don't know if Cork can do that I don't know if Cork are in a place where they can come out and hit Watford with what Tipperary hit them in the first 30 minutes and I think Watford are well warned at this stage I think Watford are looking okay we're coming towards the end of this now lads we want to be in control of our own fate here we want to be in a Munster final most likely against Limerick and we want to take the direct route but we want to go straight down the middle and we don't want to be leaving these cagey affairs down to winning by two or three points or anything like that I think Watford will come out and all guns blaze and I think we'll see Austin Gleeson start and I think we'll you know um, probably I suppose they look to try to get him involved in around centre forward um, Ty De Burke didn't have a great game the last day but look I think their system will be well set up for, for in Welsh Park that you know we'll see a very strong Ty De Burke there I think they'll be all guns blazing um, I, I hope to see a good kick from Cork here I hope that they'll come and really put it up and who knows who knows they could turn him over I just don't see where it's going to come from at this stage mm-hmm. it's, it's a big ask I think at this stage and for Waterford as well James just put a bit of focus onto them they'd be looking to dust themselves off we said last week they didn't lose a whole lot in defeat to Limerick because of the fact that they closed the gap a lot more than what they had seen in the previous two games there was a lot to like about that Waterford performance uh, particularly the spell where they got the goals in the second half at the Gaelic rounds and look as Murph said it's important for them that if you're going to get to a Munster final this is a game they have to win they kill a lot of hope for both Cork and Tipperary who meet in the last round if they beat Cork they're pretty much into a Munster final if they were to win this it's a big opportunity for Waterford to you know again lay down another marker get another win against a rival and put themselves into a very strong position to qualify for a Munster final well it, it, it puts results in their own hands and it, take, mm. it puts it beyond any reasonable doubt can you imagine now a situation in Waterford Sunday evening if Cork beat them 
you know, and, if Clare, and, and say if Clare were to beat Limerick in the other fixture then straight Limerick away come, it throws everything come, up yeah like in Clare with six points in Watford you know <laughs> or look, look, looking to get four so it just um, it creates an awful lot of turmoil for Watford if they don't go the direct route so there'd be no shortage of, of motivation from their perspective I fully agree Paul the best way and the fastest way to get an Ireland final is the, is the slow is the shortest route and that's straight up the middle as you said get through Cork get through Liverpool Clare on your, on your, on your you know, the weekend after and, and move on um, but like I, I agree with Paul like, I, <clears throat> I think they've had the, they probably, they, they'd assess probably the Limerick game and say yes they made errors probably made some oppositional errors some, some tactical errors if you like um, they rattled 221 against them so like it's not as if they were hammered out the gate um, like, and Limerick performed against Watford to be honest they did, they did perform they performed fierce well and we were treated to a great game so Watford like know in the back of their mind even subconsciously they have it in the locker league champions so if they just come with the correct attitude they'll have the people behind them and they get they, they get rolling and it's hard for me to, I know it, this sounds very bad now and disrespectful but I don't want it to sound that way but Go I look at Cork right now and I'm saying right when they're playing Watford the weekend like, I'm hoping for a good game but I have this feeling about the way just the way Manchester United are at the moment people everyone is saying their players are shutting off you know I'm not saying Cork are doing that but I just get the feeling if the game is tough and Watford run them Cork will just say ah, enough of this do you know what I mean that's the way it kind of feels like that's just the year has been so I won't say bad but it's just been so far away from what they had hoped and what they had hoped to build on say from a few months be, a few months previous especially when they were going to win the league that it's just like shut up shop or even introduce a whole host of more than the 20 players we were seeing over the last couple of years and seeking the blood some more guys and get some more championship minutes into them so it's interesting to, to, to see what will happen but I just I, I can't when I, when, I, when I do all the matchups together and I see how were Cork going to beat Watford and how will Watford beat Cork it's overwhelming in, in favour of Watford I can't see how, how Cork took the scale and uh, they'll have to be reassessing for a few months time yeah so Waterford against Cork Welsh Park 2pm Sunday that game's in RT2 it's followed by the second live hurling game in RT2 which would be the game between Clare and Limerick at Cusick Park and Ennis at 4pm so that should be a really good afternoon of hurling in the Munster Championship we've also got Dublin against Kilkenny live on Saturday night on Sky Sports Arena are going to be showing this one this is a crucial game James because we'll get to Kilkenny camp in a moment for Murph on this but huge fixture for both Kilkenny and for Dublin Dublin put themselves in a great position after that win against Wexford Kilkenny now looking yeah. to bounce back from the defeat in Salt Hill and again at a time when there's four teams still active in the race to qualify in Leinster this is going to have a huge say in who actually gets through oh it's massive this, this is the game that will decide even the whole landscape of the table I think because um, I am look at I, I, I won't say it lightly I'm convinced that Galway will be Dublin in Pierce Stadium um, so this is a huge game for both teams Like, but I've done my projection already saying I, I do believe and I stand by what I said last week I think the Kenny are going to win this weekend um, I think they have to win this weekend they know that themselves because if they don't they put themselves into a bit of a home dinger at Westford the week after you know it's, it's, it, that would basically that would send, it would actually be it'll be a do or die uh, a game for the Kenny they're either in or out with that game coming so again we just touched on what we said about Watford take it beyond all reasonable doubt and, and just try get try get through Dublin, but Dublin like they're, they're playing well. They're beating what's being put in front of them. Um, but this is a major test now. This is, this is a huge big test. They they, they they performed fierce well against Wexford, but they didn't shoot the lights out. Like Wexford aren't a team that you could say, you know, are in, are at the top of their game. So in terms of how impressive the Dublin performance was in Wexford, yes, it was impressive. Don't get me wrong. But I can't sit here and say they're automatically going to beat Kikini at home. It's not the case at all. And so Kikini are a different proposition. And I do believe Kikini, they're obviously hurting from, the la- from, from last week. And uh, they'll, have, they'll have rectified a couple of wrongs themselves. They'll be coming full of intent and try to get a job done. And I think they will, to be honest. Um, will TJ start? Like, that's the question I have for you, Murph. Like, is he injured? I, I've heard rumours that he's groin is 
up like his, his atom like he's that's why he's not at full tilt so I'd be very interested to see what kind of forward unit he picks against Dublin so tell me Murph is TJ starting? <laughs> well, I don't Get know. your crystal ball out there and see. <laughs> yeah, my crystal ball. I need a crystal ball as much as anyone else, to be honest. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Is he injured? I don't know. Is there anything you know even to look into after Galway? Was he just taken off because you know didn't have many possessions and different Enough things? Um, so it's hard to know. And it, look, it's 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 hard to know what Brian does in terms of changes as well because, um, like personally myself, I think from seeing um, the match against Galway I think Alan Murphy will start because I think Brian, something Brian will be looking at is you know the work rate around the middle that Galway kind of outmuscled them there and something Alan Murphy brings is a savage work rate around there I think David Blanchfield you know I think Blanchfield might step back into that role because in, in a wing back um, I don't think we'll see him at midfield but you know so who drops out yeah then? like I mean James Marr James Marr could be stepping out like I mean Alan Murphy came on for James Marr was Conor Brown wing back the last day like I mean again Conor Brown's a great player but like David Blanchfield had a great game like he was man the match against Dublin in Parnell Park uh, during the league so like I just think like again no more than John Kiley has taken his few bits from the match on Sunday against Tip Brian has taken his few bits um, particularly in the loss against Galway and going how do I bring it to Dublin um, I do think it's a good position for Kilkenny to be coming into really because you know Dublin coming off let's say the, the big win of, of the Wexford win I, I think a small bit flatter and again the last time we saw Dublin come off maybe a flatter and win was against Tipperary down below in Thurles Kilkenny went up and absolutely hammered him I don't think they're going to hammer him and in um, fairness Dublin made hard work of Westmead in the last game on the back yeah. of that win so we were kind of thinking Dublin would look to push on put the scoring difference up and Westmead were in that game with yeah. 7 minutes to go they were you know and and, and that, this is exactly it and, and you know we're looking for these trends of what Dublin sometimes do and what, how teams react I know Kilkenny will react fairly savagely because you know that you know that was a sore loss to Galway up in Galway all things considered it was a sore loss because you know it was a big match it was hotly contested a brilliant match for both sides but I know that Kilkenny lads will come away from it going Jesus we need to kick on we want to be in the Leinster final and there will be that bit between the teeth to do it and we also want to have the pressure on Wexford coming down to Nolan Park as well which would be a huge thing so that's where Kilkenny will be and I think they'll come with a great aggression like there's, there's great battles that are potentially to be there I think Dublin would ideally like to have Owen O'Donnell on Owen Cody the two Owens but I don't think Kilkenny will let that happen I think Kilkenny will keep Owen Cody in the corner maybe out to half forward and ask a few questions there um, so the matchups will be will will be really interesting I think potentially even Mossy Keown could come in Mossy Keown had a great game against Dublin and not to say like certain players hurled well against certain teams but if you're looking for someone to step in on Owen O'Donnell like Mossy Keown is a very physical player and not saying he's going there to preoccupy him but you know Owen O'Donnell is a very important player for Dublin to hurl well so there's there's a good dynamic to this I think we're going to get a great game like I've played in Parnell Park I, I could be wrong in saying it but maybe the last time Kilkenny played in Parnell Park was 2018 in front of a packed house we played that day I came on as a sub because I was only back from overseas at that time I think we're down by about 8 points and we crept back and just about got it I think Liam Blanchfield got a goal in the last minute to, to pip us over the line but a savage battle and I don't yeah, think the league battle will reflect what's going to ba- reflect um, or what's going to happen on Saturday night um, because championship's different I think it'll be a great crowd for the Dublin crowd will be there and they'll be there in force and we've seen how that Dublin crowd affects the game they call it, they, they make it be very cagey they feel like they're on the pitch so I think it's going to be a savage battle but the one thing I do know is that Kilkenny will come prepared that they know that that's going to happen we've played there so many times that every most players on that pitch will have played in front of a parallel park in a packed house and feeling how tight it is but I think it could be a really good game because if, if we go back to that league match that Dublin played 
or that Kilkenny and Dublin played in Parallel Park Dublin had a great few chances at the start of that game to actually get a foothold in the game and it kind of killed their confidence that they hit I think three or four wides at the left hand side of the goal in the start of the game if they got those you know Kilkenny were under pressure but they didn't and Kilkenny got their scores and kicked on I think Dublin will be a little bit more clinical now on Saturday I still expect Kilkenny to maybe win by about six or seven though yeah, half and I will be on scoring difference when it comes to the other two fixtures. So the five o'clock game is Leash against Galway at a more park. The Leinster Camogie final is on as a curtain raiser to that one beforehand. And then you've got Westmeath against Wexford, 6.30 at TEG Cusick Park. And you would think that Galway and Wexford would be winning those games, probably trying to run up a scoreline in case the teams go into the final round on the same amount of points. You've got two games in the Joe McDonough Cup on Saturday. Really important one at Austin Stack Park when it comes to the composition of the table because I think the losers of this game are under serious pressure to try and qualify for the final. That is Kerry against Offaly. Now, Down will be looking to bounce back from their defeat against Offaly just before the break when they go to play against Carlo at Netwatch Cullen Park and Carlo hurled uh, very well against Antrim just before the break. That's a 2pm start. And then the other game in the Joe McDonough is on Sunday at 1pm in Park Talton in Nav which is Mead who prop up the table at the moment took a heavy defeat against Kerry last time 30 points was the difference against an Antrim team who can put themselves into the final if they get that victory at Navin and it looks like it's a pretty much a straight fight with the Kerry, Offaly and Down being the teams who could potentially get to the final so uh, that John McDonough with two rounds still to go is pretty open especially for the second place the other thing I wanted to touch on lads is a historic Leinster minor hurling final which has now been fixed for next Monday in Port Leash Leash winning the coin toss there's only been three finals ever in the history of the Leinster minor hurling championship that hasn't featured Kilkenny or Dublin they were the teams who were beaten in the semi-finals last weekend Offaly and Leash will contest the final against each other for the first time ever uh, since 2000 last time that Offaly won the Leinster minor championship was the 2000 year they've only been to four finals since as a quirk of the pandemic they ended up playing the 2020 final in 2021 uh, Cormac Egan one of the star players on that hurling team that got to the final where they lost out to Kilkenny and now he's kind of focused on football and went on later that summer to win an All-Ireland under 20 but Adam Screeny was the big star for Offaly the weekend two goals and eight points he scored was talking to a few Dublin people who were in at the game in Tullamore their feeling was this guy looks like he's going to be a star at senior level his older brother is already a very good player with the Offaly under 20s and onto the senior panel too so good family and good stock for the Screenies but he scored 2-8 Dan Ravenhill got a goal and five points Points. and it was just loads of drama because I bought the games on YouTube on TG Carr you'll always hear me praise TG Carr it's remarkable the breadth of coverage that they get up these were noon matches on a Saturday YouTube full streams of both games so I bought them open and work flicking between them looked like off we were comfortable and they went 7 or 8 points up put Leash and Kilkenny on that game was a crack and finish uh, Leash put over a couple of late frees which were remarkably well hit um, by Breen their free taker uh, he put one over from at least 90 metres down the Abbey Leaks end to put Leash I think at that point two points up it went into injury time he put one to put them three points up and the inevitability felt like Kilkenny were about to come back in it was 115 to 15 Kilkenny got themselves a free just outside maybe about 23 or 24 metres from goal Leash did the classic thing of packing the line and their goalkeeper come out and charged down the ball quite bravely. They blocked it, and somehow Leash managed to scramble the ball and get it out. Look, I know that Murph is going to be hoping that Kilkenny will get to the minor final, but Paul, what a story to have these two teams into a final. They wouldn't have been fancied, particularly Leash, who had to come the long way around after the round robin, beat Wexford and beat Kilkenny to get to a final. Great work by Declan Qualter and by Derek McGrath, who's in there as hurling coach with Leash currently, for them to get to their first final since 2013, and also quite rare for Offaly to be in a final too. 
it's quite novel for Leinster to have these two teams meet and crucially for them they're both going to be in the last five of the All-Ireland no matter what happens yeah it's huge you know and putting my as well Kilkenny loyalty aside you know you have to give great credit to Leach and Offaly and it's great it's always great to see your underage hurlers you know get into finals that's something that any county regardless how they're doing takes great solace in when you see that there's underage hurlers stepping up there and for the Leach hurlers particularly and uh, you know, I'm sure the Offaly hurlers feel the same. Like, you know, the Leash lads going out the last day, like they have a Kilkenny jersey in front of them. And that's not talking up Kilkenny or anything, but they have a Kilkenny jersey in front of them. As much as, you know, some other player goes out and sees a Cork jersey or a Tipperary jersey, you're going out and playing a team that comes from a county that has a great tradition, and you go out and on full merit earn a victory, you're in a Leinster final. There's potential of having silverware on the table there for a Leash minor hurling team or for an Offaly minor hurling team. You know, to, and for, for a county like Offaly as well, with the great tradition they have, the fact that, you know, having won it, as you're saying, there will since 2000 um, you know again that'll be hotly contested because as it stands either of these teams have done a savage job so far getting to the final beating the two favourites really I suppose in, in Dublin and Kilkenny um, and I suppose booking the trend of, of, of the teams that would traditionally be in the final so it is brilliant for them um, and again I suppose they, they won't want to rest on their laurels here they'll actually want to go out and win a cup because it'd be a great story for either county to actually go along and grab a cup and see what happens after that you know step out to the All-Ireland series after that but if you could go and lay down a mark and get a get a bit of silverware on the table that takes a great boost for whichever county does it internally within the county for Hurling um, to get a bit of silverware back on the table so yeah look like I said putting putting my Kilkenny loyalties aside there it's it's, it's fantastic to see it and it's great for Leinster Hurling again to see this competitiveness at underage and, and, and different teams filling the void yeah Ben Deegan scoring 10 points for Leash including those two late frees which came in injury time uh, which proved crucial in that 3 point win the other thing uh, James when it comes to this like two novel unusual teams getting to the final is that they've got guys who've developed hurlers in other counties who've helped them to get here now Declan Qualter is very much the manager with Leash but Derek McGrath has been involved for the last couple of seasons as a hurling coach bringing his expertise and in Offaly's case they were able to prize one of their own back out of Limerick to manage them so Leo O'Connor has been their manager for the last couple of years last time he was involved I think with Limerick I'm going to say it was like 2014 to 2016 you know, some decent players like Kyle Hayes were on that minor team that got to an All-Ireland final so he was heavily involved in preparing a team that went on to become All-Ireland champions it's amazing how that little bit of expertise you know working elsewhere can actually give a boost to a county too oh massively yeah. and you know the question I'd always ask is how much how can we spread that expertise in other counties? You know, I know it's great for Leash, for Leash and Offaly, and that's the teams we're focusing on at the moment. But if if you, if you think on a broader scale, let's say, how how do we grow this in in Westmeath? How do we grow it in you know in the Carlows, in even Ross Commons, all that? And I think it's it's expertise expertise from the, the, the top counties, to be honest. So you you need people from Galway, Kilkenny, Tipperary's branching over. So if I'm in a county board or in any kind of position of of, of I suppose structure in in a county. I'm trying to get these people on board because look what the effect it has. Now, Rome wasn't built in a day and it won't be done overnight. It, it's, it's a long process. It can be a tedious process. It can be somehow, sometimes it can sap the energy out of yeah, you take when you shift some beatings through the midst of sort of rebuilds or, or, or generating youth. But like it, it has to be done. And if you go even broader again, will for the greater good of the game as a whole, even if, if you're to come to compete against the other sports, the, the footballs, the rubies, we have to branch out into the, the, the smaller countries who are uh, who are not Division One at the minute. But <clears throat> like it's it's mighty. I, I I personally love seeing the likes of the leashes and the offleys coming in. Like I grew up watching offleys in the ni- in the nineties. Like and you want them to get back to the the top the top table. And it all starts at the, at the bottom with your kids to say so that's where Limerick have come from I know everyone has seen it at the moment and everyone's caught up in the moment with Limerick being 
in a, in a, you know, in a, in a force of domination at the minute. But that all started 10 years ago. You know, that all started with Keane Lynch at 13, at 14. And grand, the argument to be said, oh, these lads would nurture themselves. No, they wouldn't. No, they would not. Like, these guys didn't forge themselves. They, you don't, a hurler at that age is not forged, like, unless he's got... The, the sound advice from, from adults let's say who have done it before who, who know what they're about have experience and have stature in the game so that needs to be transported over to the, the smaller counties and, and I think that's not I won't say that's a problem for the counties it's a problem for the GA as a whole and that, that could lead us into a different debate entirely Oh that, that's a wider debate yeah. for some weekend where we've got no fixtures on and we can have a yeah. chat in much longer length on the hurling pod about it uh, that is episode 12 a great <coughs> weekend of hurling ahead of us and that Leinster Minor Final will be played this day next week so we're recording on Monday currently so it's next Monday half past seven in Amore Park in Port Leash should be a great occasion for those two Midland counties as well lads great to talk to you looking forward to uh, looking back at the penultimate round in Leinster and Munster next week cheers lads